0: Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. How many of you notice Christmas is done? It's past. But uh, as I was looking in my Bible, I, I noticed they did some things after Christmas. Right? So I always want to entitle this, this message, What Happened After Christmas? All right, And I want to start in Luke chapter 2, and I want to bring, talk to you about just three different things that people did after Christmas. All right. And so it was when the angels had gone away, they appeared to the shepherds. From the into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made known... The saying which was told them concerning the child and all who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Well, the first thing I want to mention is the shepherds. They came. They found Jesus, they worshiped Jesus, but afterwards they went about and they told everybody what they had heard and what they had seen. So I wanna talk to you about after Christmas, we need to be talking about what we have heard of what we have seen. We need to talk about what God has done in our lives. It's in the day the church is born, is the day of Pentecost. It's in Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit descends. Uh, there's a, there appears a cloven tongue of fire on everybody's head and they're speaking in tongues, but everybody hears them in their own language. And this is what it says. It says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God. See, so often what we think... Uh, I went to Bible college because I wanted to learn how to win arguments. I I wanted to know some theology and win an argument. But you know what I found out? Nobody cares about theology. Nobody cares about your theology. They want to know, is God alive and does he do anything today? And when the Holy Spirit showed up, the Bible says, What did he declare? He didn't give him theology. He declared the wonderful works of God. He declared what God had done. Right? And uh, you and I, with the Holy Spirit's help, who is inside us, what he wants to do through us is declare the wonderful works that God has done. And so often we're afraid to open our mouth. How many of you know the world's not afraid to open its mouth? I think we need to come out of the closet in a good way, right? You see, when, when, God, when you get in right relationship with God, there, there should be a concern on the inside of you for other people. You even look in the Old Testament. The children of Israel are, are about to go into the promised land. Joshua sends in two spies. They go to the city of Jericho, Jericho, uh, they encounter a woman named Rahab and she makes this declaration. She hides them and she makes this declaration. She says, your God is God in heaven above and he is God on the earth beneath. And we know that he's given you all this land. And she says, now I'm hiding you. Now I want you to take care of me. And this is what she said. And my father's house. How many of you know we ought to be concerned about more than just us? And if your heart is small, may it be just you and your father's house. But how many know we ought to have a bigger heart than that? We ought to have God's heart, which is a heart for the world. For God so loved the world. Now, Revelation 19 and verse 10 says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. For the testimony of Jesus. Now, literally in Acts chapter one in verse eight, Jesus said, but you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, right? And you shall be witnesses unto me. We're supposed to be testifying of what Jesus has done. But the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You say, what does that mean? That means that what Jesus has done When we testify about what he has done, it is a picture of what Jesus wants to do. In fact, when we testify to somebody about what Jesus has done, it creates expectation, it creates faith, and it releases an anointing to have happen what has already happened. In other words, what Jesus has done is a spirit, a prophecy about what he will do. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Psalm 78, verse 41, it says, Yes, and again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. So God wanted to do things for them that God did not do for them. Uh, This would kind of blow out of the water, that whole teaching that everything God wants to happen happens and everything that happens is God's will. Well, right here it says God wanted to do things but they limited God, and God could not do what he wanted to do for them. Right? Again and again, they tempted God. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They, and here's why. They did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoran, turned the rivers into blood and in their streams that they couldn't drink, He sent swarms of flies among them and devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He also gave their crops to to the caterpillars and their labor to locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. Now they didn't remember how God had delivered them because what God had done was a picture of what God was willing to do. Um, The Holy Spirit when, when you and I testify to what he does, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the healings, it is a prophecy. It's, it shows what he is willing and wanting to do again. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalms 119, verse 111 says this, I have inherited your testimonies forever. I have inherited your testimonies forever, and they are the joy of my heart. So every testimony, what you say, what's a testimony? It's anything God's done, right? We have inherited those. They belong to us to show us God's character, to show us God's will, to show us what God has done and what God will do again. We have inherited all of his testimonies forever. So, so often we just read the Bible and think, well, that's what God did. We just kind of read over it real quick and kind of pass over it. But it is to show us what God has done, what God will do again. All the stories in the Bible, they they, they show us what God has done, what he will do again. If God healed somebody, delivered somebody, provided for somebody, you hear about it, what God has done, he will do again. The root word for testimony in the original language is do again, do again, right? What God did, he'll do again. When we hear those testimonies, it creates faith, right? and, and literally releases an anointing of God to have happen again what already happened. That's the reason that Moses told the Israelites to rehearse the testimonies, to tell their children what God had done. That's the reason Joshua, when they crossed the Jordan, said, take these stones and put these stones up right here in a pillar and then come and tell your children what God has done. In Psalm 78, it says that they should make them known to their children. We need to let our children know what God has done, that they may set their hope in God and not forget his works. When we hear what he's done, It should create a faith in us, a hope in us that God is going to do what he did before. Our expectation of God is what determines our level of faith. Our expectation of God is what determines our level of faith. And when we don't look at his testimonies, we back off and do not receive what God wants. We limit the Holy One of Israel. Psalm 78 in verse 9. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows. Now, the children of Israel are in a fight. The children of Ephraim are one of the 12 tribes. Now, they are equipped for battle. It says they turned their back in the day of battle. They didn't keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Why did they back up? Why didn't they get involved in what God was doing? Because they forgot his works and his wonders. They forgot what God had done because that creates an expectation on the inside of us. Point number two. Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. Point number two is after Christmas, they meditated. First, People were giving a testimony of what they had seen and what God had done. Secondly, Mary meditated. In Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. That you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. And When we meditate, we end up becoming doers of the word. Uh, To meditate actually means to ponder, to imagine, to mutter, to speak to yourself, to study, and to talk about. Now, how many of you have ever had, you're like, you woke up in the morning and there's just a verse coming out of your mouth. It's just just it's just there. You're meditating on it. You're pondering it. Somebody said maybe the best way to understand it is to think about a cow. Now. A cow goes in the field, eats that green grass, and then lays down and regurgitates and chews it all over again until it gets every bit of juice, every bit of nutrition out of it. Now, that's a picture of meditating. So often we just read the word, but we don't take it with us. Now, the Apostle Paul said this He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. A lot of times what happens is we just hear the word, right? And it's planted, but it doesn't get watered. And if it doesn't get watered, there's not going to be an increase. And the watering of the word is meditating on the word and hearing it again and again. You know, I've had people say, well, you preached on that before. I'm going to preach on it again. Right? Because faith doesn't come by having heard. Faith comes by hearing. See what we, what we, have planted needs to get watered. It doesn't happen just in a second that we hear it one time and wow, we've got it all. We've got it like that cow that's chewing its cud. We've got to get everything out of the word of God. Proverbs 4 verse 20, my son, attend to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Now God's saying you need to focus on the word of God. You need to be inclining your ear to my saying. It is no wonder that you're depressed if you're listening to mainstream media. But we've got to be inclining our ear to his sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. They need to be our main focus. Keep them in the midst of your heart. They need to rule. They need to be the way that we think, the way that we judge. They need to be what would cause us to want to associate with somebody or disassociate with somebody for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Next verse, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Now notice it says you need to keep, other translations say you need to guard your heart. You can't put trash in and get blessing out. Guard your heart. For out of it flow the issues of life. Some translations say boundaries. For out of it are the boundaries of your life, right? Based on what you're putting in your heart, there's going to be, there's things you'll do and there's things you won't do. There are boundaries you will not cross. There's things you won't go to. There's things you won't say. There's things you won't do because of what's in your heart, right? It's produced by what you put in your heart. Psalms 119, verse 99. For I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. As we're meditating in the word of God. God it says, I'm going to give you understanding. I'm going to give you wisdom. Right? As we delight in that word and we're meditating on the word of God. Mark chapter 4, verse 24. In the Amplified Translation said, pay attention to what you hear for by your own standard of measurement. That is the extent that you study spiritual truth and apply godly wisdom. It will be measured to you. In other words, it's not just you're hearing it. It's you're studying it. It's you're meditating on what you hear that causes it to produce fruit in your life and in my life. Now, The kingdom of God, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And what Jesus teaches, and you look at his parables, and it's amazing how many of them have to do with farming and planting a seed. right? Because the kingdom of God works on a seed principle. So Jesus begins in Mark 4 in the parable, and he says, The sower sows the gospel of the kingdom. So that word that's sown—it's the gospel of the kingdom. He says, "Some falls on a path, some falls on rocky ground, some falls on weedy ground, and some falls on good ground." Right? Peter said, "Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed—even the word of God, which lives and endures forever." So the word of God is a seed. Jesus said it. It's mentioned in the epistles. God's word is a seed. So. Mark 4, verse 26. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, the kingdom, you're you're sowing the seed of the gospel of the kingdom. But he says, it works like a farmer who's sowing seed on the ground. And he should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. And he himself does not know how. So, what it's saying here, I believe, is it's saying to us, you will not understand exactly how the Word of God produces in you. But look what he says. For the, for the earth yields crops by itself. That word by itself, itself, it is the word automatic. It's automatic. Right? You put the Word of God inside. You meditate on the Word. You water the Word of God. It is going to produce... In your heart. Now, if you're putting a bunch of junk in your heart, you're you're, you're watching a bunch of junk, and you're putting that in your heart. You're going, and you wonder later why you're reaping the harvest that you're reaping, it because it's automatic. What you sow in your heart will automatically produce. It will automatically grow. The ground doesn't care if it gets a corn seed or a tomato seed or a cucumber seed. What you plant in your heart will grow, right? Now, with the kingdom of God, he said, it's first the blade, then the head, after that, the full grain in the head. So he's saying, you don't see a total manifestation of everything all at once, right? It grows, right? It's a process. But what you plant in your heart and you keep watering, it is going to grow. It is automatic. Your heart That ground does not determine the seed that's sown in it, but the seed that's sown will produce, right? In Psalms 39 in verse three, it says, my heart was hot within me while I mused or meditated. The fire burned, right? Now now here's the sign that that meditation is really producing in your life. You get meditating on something and you get excited, you get meditating on it and it starts to burn on the inside of you. All right? And then he says, this is interesting. He says, then I spoke with my tongue. All right? Now Jesus kind of referred to this same process in Mark 11, verse 23. He said, for verily I say unto you that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. In his heart. Because where is faith? Faith's in the heart. Faith is of the heart. For the Bible says, Romans 10, for with the heart, man believes, right? You see, you can understand something with your head, right? But you don't receive it because you have it in your head. You receive it because it's in your heart, because with the heart, man believes, right? So Jesus said, and shall not doubt in his heart. But how did it get there? How did it get there? Well, it got there by meditating, right? By meditating on that truth until it comes alive on the inside of you. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, meditate on these things. So we want to be sure we're guarding our heart and we're putting the right thing in our heart. In Isaiah 26 and verse 3, it says, For you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because you trust in him." We're living in a world that is looking desperately for peace. But God says, you just keep my word, keep full of my word. He said, I will keep you full of peace. Then lastly, the Kings. I was gonna say, in fact, we we got, uh, thank you by the way, several of you sent us Christmas cards. And uh, the vast majority of them had a picture on the front. It's the manger scene. We've got Mary and Joseph and Jesus is in the manger and there's a cow and there's some sheep and there's shepherds. And then there's these three kings coming with their camels. I mean, that's the typical picture. All right. Well, the truth is the kings weren't there. Right? And, and actually they're called magi. Right? Um, and there weren't three of them. There were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, when Magi showed up, they typically showed up in, in a caravan of 100 to 500 people. Now, the Bible says that when they showed up in Jerusalem, the whole city went crazy. Right? Well, the whole city wouldn't get, go crazy of three guys showing up on camels. Right? This, is a, this is a large group of people. And they come and they say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? Now, they're coming from Persia, these Magi. Now, they're coming because there is an ancient prophecy that the king of the Jews is going to be born. Now, Daniel was the, the head of the Magi in Babylon 700 years before this took place. And he had prophesied about the king of the Jews going to be born. And those magi kept that prophecy. And then finally, there's a sign and they show up. It says, now, they go, they go to the king and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews. He gets the leaders together. They say he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, and the star that they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they found the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, notice it says that they're in the house. They're not in the manger anymore. And they're not in the stable. But it mentions the young child. Right? In the original language, it's a toddler. Right? Jesus is already walking around. He's possibly two years old by this time, by the time these magi show up. But they open their gifts and they worship him. They worship him. I want to talk to you about what happened after Bethlehem. They worshiped. They worshiped. In in uh, Acts chapter 15, in verse 16, there is a quote of an Old Testament prophecy. And this is what it says. It says, after this, I will return. And I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again its ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Now, most people who've read your Bible know, well, there's Solomon's tabernacle. There's Rebel's tabernacle. Herod rebuilt the tabernacle, but David didn't have a tabernacle. Moses had a tent before that, but what about what, David's tabernacle? And why does God like that one? I mean, what David did was he took the ark and he brought it to Jerusalem. Now every tabernacle, Moses, Solomon, Jeroboam, Herods, all the tabernacles have a small compartment where they put the ark of the covenant, the presence of God. And once a year, And never without blood, the high priest would go in. But David took the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and he put it in a big tent. And anybody could walk in anytime they wanted. And David took 2,400 men, gave them musical instruments, divided them into groups of three, and he had them in the tabernacle worshiping 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And I think it's interesting, God says, that's the one I'm rebuilding. The one I like isn't the one where people are far away. The one I like is where people are coming right into my presence and worshiping me, direct access into the presence of God. It was a place of praise and worship day and night. And I really think that we just do not understand The power of worship, the power that's in praise and in worship. In 2 Chronicles, we find Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel. He he finds out that three enemy armies have invaded his land and are attacking. He gets the people together and they pray and they, 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 they say, God, help us, help us. And a prophet stands up and says, God says, I'll take care of this for you. And he consulted the people, and he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. So get the picture. They don't put the Navy SEALs in front. They put the choir in front. And they're attacking the enemy with a choir, saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing praise, the Lord set ambushments against Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And they were defeated against Judah. They were defeated. See, when we begin to worship and we begin to praise, God's power literally comes on the scene. I think another example of this is found in Acts 16. Paul and Silas have been preaching the gospel. They take them, they whip them, they throw them in prison. Their backs are bleeding. Their hands and their feet are in stocks, right? Now, somebody might feel sorry for themselves. They didn't feel sorry for themselves, right? In fact, I think that Paul said, oh, you made a mistake. He said, you beat my back. You put my hands in chains. You've got my feet in stocks, but you didn't do anything to my mouth. And the Bible says they begin to pray and to sing hymns to God and the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there came an earthquake that shook that prison, and every single chain, every bond, every door opened wide. Why? Because the presence of God came in. Um, it's, it's actually worship and praise that got the devil in trouble in the beginning. Um, I'm not going to take the time to go there, but if you look in Ezekiel chapter 28 you'll find that Satan had musical instruments in his body. The pipe, he had pipes and organs in his body in the day that he was created. Scholars tell us that what Satan was in heaven is he was the worship leader. By the way, that's one of the reasons he hates you so much. It's because you're taking his place. When we get to heaven, we're going to be the choir. We're going to be worshiping, Right? But it says this in in, uh, Isaiah 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, and I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. You see, Satan wanted to be in God's place, and he wanted to receive worship. He wanted to be praised, and he wanted to receive worship because it is so powerful in the spiritual realm. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 20, it says, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not God. I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Uh, when Jeannie and I lived in Mexico, I'm going to say about 45 minutes from our, our home uh, was the area of Tula where a lot of the ancient worship would take place. David, do you remember Tula? You'd, you'd go by the road and there were these stands and they're selling all these idols, right? And they're ugly. Oh, they're ugly. You know, all, it seemed like, I've never seen a good looking idol in my life. They're all ugly. Because when the devil paints a picture of God, it's ugly, Right? But now, notice here, it says the Gentiles sacrifice to these idols, but they're actually sacrificing to demons. Because it, you might think, oh, those are just ignorant people, and they just keep on worshiping that idol and praying to that idol. No, 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 no. You need to understand, that idol answers their prayers. But it's not God, it's a demon. A demon comes to receive the worship that is given to that idol. The things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not God. Somebody says, oh, it's just a different way to God. No, it's a demon. It's not God. Got that not God. It's a demon. But what that demon wants is it wants worship. Right? And in the, there is so much power in the realm of the spirit when it comes to worship. Jesus said this. He's he's coming into Jerusalem. The people are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees said, do you hear them saying this? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? I have perfected praise. Now, Jesus is taking this from Psalms 8. And this is what it says. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Because of your enemy, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. See, when you worship and when you begin to praise God, the Bible says you silence the enemy. It, it, it's like God sets ambushes against the enemy. God moves on your behalf. Supernatural things begin to take place. God said they, Jesus said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And God is seeking, Jesus said, such to worship him. The magi came and they worshiped. Now that wasn't something that was just supposed to take place then. God is looking for worshipers today. And when you worship, it brings the presence of God, the anointing of God, the deliverance of God, the provision of God into your life. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment. Now, if you can, whether you're here or you're online, if you can, would you take somebody's hand? If you feel comfortable, just take somebody's hand that's near you. We're gonna pray here in just a moment. but Christmas has past, and all of us know about Christmas, but being right with God has never been about what you know in your head. It's always been about your heart. In first, in John chapter one, it says, but to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to to be the children of God. To as many as receive him. You know, it's not just what you know, but you need to receive Jesus. You say, what does that mean? You see, Jesus came as your sacrifice, as your substitute. And he went to the cross and he shed his blood and he paid for your sins. He was buried, and he rose again. And today, he's at the right hand of God the Father, and he is King of kings and Lord of lords. But when we receive him, we we don't just know about him. We receive him and give him our heart and our life. We receive him as our king. We receive him as our Lord. We receive the sacrifice that he purchased for us at the cross. And so often we know about him, but we've never received him. But it's to those that receive him that he gives the right to become the children of God. Now, if you're away from God and you're not right with God, we're going to pray a prayer right now. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, you're going to receive him. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. And God's going to do something supernatural on the inside of you because he's going to make you a child of God. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. He's my Lord. And I'm going to live for him. I thank you. You've heard my prayer, that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever in Jesus name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the word of God. We upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.